0: Welcome to the Joy Factory Monthly and inappropriately named podcast for the Joy Factory project. On today's show, my guest and I will talk about why Pete's Dragon is an underrated gem of a movie because it is obviously. Thanks for joining me on this adventure of virtual nerdery. I'm your host, Sean Duke, proprietor of the Skiffy and Fanty Show, professor of nerdly things, sometime writer and TTRPG dork. If you're here, it means you fell down a magic well into some kind of alternate reality. Welcome, we have hard tech which is not terribly delicious, I imagine. And with me today is Alexandria Brown, a YA librarian, literary critic at Punk-Ass Book Jockey, Tor.com, and Locus, a historian, a rat enthusiast, which is really important, and much more that we haven't got to just yet. So welcome to the show, Alex.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about my all-time favorite movie.
0: I am so glad that you said that because I'm gonna come back to that very thing because I I think the this all started because uh, I maybe m- you mentioned Pete's Dragon on Twitter and I commented mm-hmm. or something something of that effect. And it turns out that we both just love Pete's Dragon. Yeah.
1: Well, it's a great movie. I mean, it's a terrible movie, but it's a great movie.
0: <laughs> it's delightful. Yeah. It's also full of some really dark stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're here to talk about Pete's Dragon from 1977. This is directed by Don Don Chaffee, written by Malcolm Marmerstein. Based on a Seton, I. Miller, and S.S. Field short story, there are a lot of extra letters going on in all these names, uh, starring Sean Marshall... Helen Reddy, Jim Dale, Mickey Rooney, Red Buttons, who, awesome name, by the way, Shelley Winters, and Charlie Callas as Elliot, and many more who I have not named, including a whole town of, of town folk who just sneer a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot going on here. A lot of uh, comedic talent, a lot of new voices, and also uh, Helen Reddy, who is delightful. And also Mickey Rooney not being racist.
1: Yeah, one of the few. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Honestly, my favorite of his performances to date because all he is is a drunk.
1: Yep. He's just some random dude. I can't even imagine him being married. Like, technically, he's Nora's father in it, but she never calls him... I don't think she ever calls him dad in it, or maybe she does once. Most of the time, she just calls him Lampy. And then, like, I was like, God, heaven help the woman he was
0: married to. Good lord. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe it's an entire family of just, like, adoptees.
1: Maybe. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe he just, like, randomly picked up a child one day like she does with Pete. (laughs) (laughs) And just, like, she followed him home one day.
0: I mean, it would make sense, given that she basically takes in Pete for the same thing.
1: I guess. That's a new yeah. headcanon sold.
0: New headcanon. I like it. So uh we should probably say what this movie's about because I suspect that there's a handful of people who've never seen this movie. Oh yeah.
1: So uh it's it starts out with this boy named Pete, and he's an orphan kid, or at least was living in an orphanage, doesn't know anything about his parents. Cute little little red cherub. Um and he's probably about twelve or so in the movie. Anyways, uh he's escaping from this awful family called the Gogans who are basically every poor stereotype you could stick about (laughs) really poor people. And they're also terrible and basically have enslaved him. They bought him from the orphanage and have enslaved him and are abusing him and terrible. And somehow he encounters Elliot, who's this big green invisible dragon who's animated and Elliot like helps Pete escape they end up in this town called Passamaquoddy. It's set in Maine, although it's shot very clearly in Southern California. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, uh, he ends up in the town called Passamaquoddy. He gets Elliot, follows him around, gets him in a lot of trouble. But eventually he meets this woman named Nora, who is pining after her lost man. Who has I think like three lines in the movie, like he's a non-existing character. But, anyways, uh, she's pining after this lost man, and and her father is the drunk lighthouse keeper that Nora does all the work for. She takes Pete in. They have this great like relationship. She becomes sort of a surrogate mother, and then this evil well, it's not really evil. He's just really craven. This Doc Terminus and his quote-unquote intern hoagie (laughs) uh, who are jim dale and red buttons uh show up in town and they're like medical quacks and they decide that they want to catch elliot and chop him up into pieces and sell him for profit so they team up with the gogans who are trying to take pete back and basically try to capture elliot I'm gonna spoil this movie for you. Sorry, they capture Elliot and and like Pete gets carted off in like a potato sack, basically, <laughs> <laughs> and it all looks very dire. But eventually, Elliot escapes. He uh, throws uh, poor Doc Terminus gets you know is about to harpoon Elliot, but in he ends up like hanging upside down from <laughs> a telephone pole, and Elliot rescues Pete from the Gogans. dumps the Gogans into like a a vat of tar. And then sends them running out of town. And then at the very last minute, Elliot manages to save the lighthouse, which the light had burned out because it's a big storm. Although the storm is not in town. It's apparently only on the coast. Yep, (laughs) correct saves because what's his name uh paul who's the most boring man on the face of the earth elliot had gone out to try to find him it turns out he had bumped his head and had amnesia and so he's sailing back to nora but he almost scratches his boat because the lighthouse got the light knocked out of it so elliot relights it and then paul is saved and everybody's happy and then elliot has to leave because pete now has a family and elliot has to go save some other boys but yeah and there's lots of singing
0: lots of singing some dance numbers you know, a bunch of dancing on barrels, which are very conveniently put in a place where they can spin. You know, yes. things like that. It's, it's very wonderful. Disney,
1: very and very <laughs> 1970s, despite the fact that it's set in some weird, like nebulous. Everybody wears Victorian clothes, but there's like automobiles.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's odd because it's sort of technically like early 1900s, but also doesn't quite feel. It feels very anachronistic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 The one thing that's not, though, I will just say is the child selling thing, because apparently that was a whole to do before like the regular forms of adoption that we sort of think of now became the common practice like that. This was a whole thing that orphanages would sell kids. There was some of the early people who created adoption, as we understand it today, started by literally like stealing poor people's kids and selling them to rural families and wealthy families who needed basically slave labor. Um, Some of those kids were treated okay, but, like, a lot of them were basically slave labor. And it was just some horrible stuff. And so, like, this movie sets all that up, and I'm just like, that can't be real, right? Like, that's, like, some, like, 1700s, 1800s stuff. That's not, like the 20th century no it turns out totally 20th century oh
1: god well and like even in this weird like whatever sort of early 20th century time period the gogans paid 50 plus dollars 50 legal fees like that's a lot that's a good chunk of change for a poor person like they are there's a they the reason they need pete back so much is because they like wiped out their savings to buy the slave child (laughs) and they can't afford to buy another one and you're just like oh my god what ah what is this movie
0: it's dark
1: (laughs) the whole first song that the gogans sing about like trying to find when they like pete's escaped and he's in this weird forest that's really dark and everything and the gogans show up and they're like trying to entice them to come back and singing about like we'll let you eat pie and stuff like that but then they also sing like you know we want to fill him full of lead and we're gonna tie him to railroad tracks (laughs) and he's like oh my god (laughs) you people are terrible
0: I mean, it's not... What's interesting about the songs is there are sweet songs. You know, uh, and then there are really dark songs. Really dark songs. Dr. Turbin sings an entire song with Hoagie about literally chopping up (laughs) Elliot. (laughs) Like That's the whole point of the song. They're going to chop him up and they're going to use all of his bits for different things. And they're like singing off or I guess you could almost say like they're doing spoken word. They're like spoken wording all of the different uses of dragon parts from a book and then singing about it. Can you hear that jingle jangle song?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. All the money I'm going to make out of that dragon heart. (laughs) You're just like, oh,
0: my God. It's so dark, and they sing it with the mo- like all this joy. like it's such a joyful song, but it's evil it's such an evil tune.
1: And he's doc Terminus has like the little twist to his mustache and he's like waving yeah. his cape around and singing it and the red Buttons is like smiling and you're like, you're talking about murdering the the main character of this movie.
0: <laughs> brutally doing horrible things to him yeah it is a a curious thing because as a kid i don't think i noticed stuff like this in in the movies i watched but as an adult i go back and go why did my grandma not let me watch looney tunes because disney movies are really messed up Mm
1: -hmm. and this is one of the first movies i was born in 83 And so like, obviously this movie had been already out, but this is one of the earliest movies I remember. It's like this and Milo and Otis and Unico are like my three. And if you've seen either of those other two movies also, they really mess you up. Like, there's a lot. There's like animals get and like live animals being thrown off cliffs in my little notice. And and you know, yeah. obviously Unico is like nightmare fodder. I'm still terrified of the name Toby. Like, and puppets. I can't. <laughs> I can't handle puppets either. I had like a weird like early childhood movie between those three trifectas. That probably explains why I'm so messed up today. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's interesting you bring up, right, that this this movie comes out – I mean, I'm, I was born in 1983, so this also would have been one of the early films that we would have had on VHS in those big plastic cases, as you, re- you remember. Yeah, this was back when uh, they knew what packaging was all about because you mm-hmm. knew a Disney package from any other VHS because every other VHS had like that – cheap cardboard paper slip but disney was like the big to-do with all the plastic it was
1: huge and white and plastic and like had these really sharp edges on
0: it yeah you could cut yourself on those
1: (laughs) great great children's you know planning right
0: there that's so wild i mean this film comes in a really interesting time because like they basically tried to recapture uh mary poppins with this which mary Mm. poppins was the previous decade and I think it would be fair to say that while we may disagree with the critics of the time, uh, it did not succeed at capturing the Mary Poppins magic, even though it has many of the same characteristics, right? The, there's a, but se- well, This whole entire film involves literally a cartoon dragon cell animation being placed on a live action set in the same way that that's present in one of the sequences in Mary Poppins. This also requires a lot of physical interaction with the environment because Elliot also runs around invisible and like knocks stuff over and gets gets poor Pete in much trouble so much trouble <laughs> goes, so, so much, much trouble. trouble oh my god the poor kid the, the evil school teacher <gasps> you know well I mean evil's not the right word she's just extremely strict You know, that kind of stereotype of that old school school teacher where she, you know, put a dunce cap on you and bang your your knuckles with a ruler and things like that. That's sort of gone out of fashion as anything but a stereotype. But that apparently was legal, too. You could Mm -hmm. like, beat children in school. It's still technically legal in some states. They just don't technically do it that Mm -hmm. much
1: i will say that was the one time that i actually got really annoyed with pete well the second time i got really annoyed the first time when he yells at elliot for like you know walking in the concrete and all that kind of stuff like he's a dragon you literally told him to be invisible and you won't (laughs) stop talking to him like what is he (laughs) supposed to he's like he's an animal like he doesn't know what he's doing leave him alone uh you should have been more clear in your instructions really okay that's all on you and then the second time I got really annoyed with him was in the school because, like, the whole reason that Elliot saves Pete is because the Gogans are beating the crap out of him. And then Elliot sees the teacher start to beat Pete and he does what he's supposed to do. He tries to save Pete. And then Pete starts yelling at him. And I'm like, shut up, you little brat! Like, he's, like, trying to help you. <laughs> he's <laughs> you helping say you. Say thank you. Don't be, don't be yelling at him to the point that poor Elliot goes crying in the cave. Like, be nice to him.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, Elliot... Elliot's whole mission in this, which we kind of learn through the story, I mean, he's effectively there to help wayward children find a home and to protect them from a world that is, uh, this world in particular is particularly just really bad, right, for kids. I mean, he gets beat. He's got this evil family of, like, rural stereotypes chasing him around. Um, He's got Doc Terminus trying to murder his friend like all this stuff's going on and like Elliot's whole mission is got to make sure this kid is safe and then he's going to go off and save some other kid which is a very Disney story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and and i think mostly works really effectively and honestly makes you a little sad at the end when elliot has to go <laughs>
1: yes oh but then that poor other little boy who needs help and he's like oh my god is that all he does all his life his whole entire like millennia of existence is just like a series of of terribly abused children that he has to rescue yep. and oh my god
0: what an existence right what an existence. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this film is just—it's a lot of fun, but it is is very dark, and I think that's also part of why it just still is a is just enjoyable to go back to, Mm -hmm. Uh, because you just feel there's a like the the storyline that follows through feels completely earned. Which mm-hmm. I can't say for some modern films that have been made where just like you guys tried to do 18 different taglines and it was like no this is not working this film right the main main story gets fulfilled the gogan story gets fulfilled the doc terminus story gets fulfilled even Nora's little story with like her long lost you know amnesiac uh Paul right gets fulfilled right the reconstitution of the nuclear family happens all of that is happening in this story. Also a very Disney thing. They love yeah. to to bring back the nuclear family. It's yeah. it's like their, their favorite thing, their jam. Yeah, so I mean I, I, I think that's part of why I just really enjoy this film is you can watch it for just the tunes, which are all fantastic. Mm-hmm. Or you can watch it for a really good heartwarming story.
1: Yeah, I always really appreciated the the story. I mean, I appreciated Nora especially. I always really liked Nora. That's funny, I'm an educator now. And I, like, when I watch it now as an adult who's an educator, like, I can see how so much of my, like, adult who's teaching children, like, is modeled off of her. Like, just the way she's so sarcastic all the time. Like, I love her little, and he needs an education, education, education. Like, her little just, like, fake smile that she does (laughs) to the teacher. All these little things. And the way she interacts, the way she just sort of humors Pete. Like, he's got this weird story about a dragon who's both a fish and a mammal and a head like a camel and all this kind of stuff. And she's just treating him like, you know, he's got a, he's a kid with a fanciful imagination. But she never talks down to him. She never, like, is like, oh, well, that's just silly. That's nonsense. Stop talking about. Like, she just, oh, okay. Okay. And she interprets that, you know, he's lonely and he needs a friend and she's going to be that friend. But she never, like, patronizes him. She never tries to get him to stop. She just is like, okay. I'll take you at your word. Let's assume that this is real. Let's, let's go with it. And like, just kind of proceeds from there. And I just, I think that's like, I didn't intentionally model myself after her, but I apparently have watched it enough that it's like ingrained in my brain now, because there's just so much of that where you're just like, okay, this is where you're at. I don't need to force you to be somewhere else. Like she never forces him to like, you know, want a mother or anything. She never tries to position herself in that. She's just like, Here's where we're at. I'm going to meet you where we where you are, and we're going to just move forward from there. And I thought that was really, really powerful.
0: Yeah, I mean, the story contrasts this a lot, right? Because the two, two actual families presented here, well, actual is maybe not the right word, but the two intended families end up being Nora and Lampy. And, Lampe, and mm-hmm. they are loving, sweet, kind. You know, they're nurturing. They respect his autonomy. They, they don't, as you say, don't talk down to him versus the Gogans, who literally don't care what he thinks at all. Mm-hmm. They don't respect him as even a human being. He is an object to be used. Mm-hmm. And so they're a whole interest. They literally sing a song about this, right? The Bill of Sales song yeah. about how literally all he is is a contractual obligation for them. Mm-hmm. There's a huge contrast throughout the whole story that these are the two families that are being presented to us, which I think was interesting because at no point do we ever talk about who Pete's actual parents were, the biological parents that presumably gave him up or more likely given the time period he was stolen from. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and so it's both found families, but it's one where... Only one is really a found family. The other one is like a forced found family that is abusive and horrible. Mm -hmm. And so that contrast is really great. And I think it's contrasted even with like the elements of the town, with the exception of like the mayor, who's just kind of your normal politicking mayor, who's just like takes advantage of things when they happen. But he doesn't seem overly evil. He just seems kind of like manipulative in a small town sort of way. But you like take the teacher as an example, or some of the other adults who don't take him seriously, who think he needs to conform in a certain way. Nora never does that. She never makes him conform. Lampy doesn't even do it. He, of course, to be fair, he believes the dragon's real because he witnesses him, and nobody else believes Lampy because he's drunk off his ass, and so everyone, all the time, <laughs> all the time,
1: ridiculously drunk, like you know, like five bottles of whiskey drunk. Like that man and 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 Hoagie are like walking whiskey factories. There's
0: a a lot of alcohol in this which i was surprised yeah.
1: by they they actually have a dance number where they're like bathed in alcohol yes. <laughs> it's like you know beer is every everybody's covered in foam like there's a whole dance number it's amazing <laughs> so much alcohol in this it's movie.
0: so much alcohol there is a lot i think that i think that there's a morality play being produced here which is like alcohol is not good and more importantly, excessive consumption of alcohol is. It really mars one's character. I mean, Lampy stops drinking significantly as we progress through the story. And as a consequence of that, he becomes coherent, he becomes loving, less fearful, less paranoid. He becomes all like a real person. But when he is drunk off his ass, he is this, like, almost just a ranting mess of a man who's just jumping around telling everybody like he sings a song about how he saw a dragon and like everybody's like oh, okay lampy it's probably just that t- like that time you were so drunk you thought the pig was a sea crack and like it's all a whole <laughs> thing but i love that that's there and even hokey gets some of-, of that although he he mostly drinks it seems out of some degree of desperation because
1: desperation slash boredom. Boredom
0: <laughs> Yeah. I mean he he's running around with Doc Turvinus. He's literally a medical quack. He's selling snake oil. Yeah,
1: it's a pretty parasitic relationship. I cannot figure out what Hoagie gets out of this relationship with Doc Termis. They don't seem to like enjoy each other's company. They don't. But they—he they, can't be getting paid that much money that he enjoys traveling. I don't know what like brought them. Like, did they go to school together? Like, I don't know what brought them together or why they continue to hang out with each other. But it's a weird relationship. It
0: is, but and yet hoki maybe Hoagie gets out of it because he's a secret thespian. And so he gets to have this moment where he acts and plays some different character. He plays a an elderly lady who, I, I, didn't they pour, like, she can't hear, so he poured the, the fake medicine into her, her like, ear cones. Yeah, thing? she
1: had one of those, I can't, I don't know what they're called, but, um, you know, those little long ear trumpet things <laughs> yeah. that you, they look like. I, I mean, I, I should know what they're called. I probably should have Googled it. But, you know, they look like the the old Victrola yeah. m- megaphone things. But, he, you know, he has one put it in the ear and then they pour the the the, <laughs> what the, it? the fake blue liquid <laughs> which is i guess part seawater and part potato peelings i don't know i don't
0: know what it is yeah and then of course you know oh everything's fine look at me and then even like i think Hoagie plays uh Does he play like a a, somebody who's obviously disabled and then you know gets cured? Yeah, somebody who's
1: in crutches. Yeah, but he's so he's he plays an old bearded, I think Scottish man. He has a weird accent, and then like and you know he's got the crutches. But in order to introduce his character in the middle of the song, he jumps up onto the stage holding the 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 crutches like aloft, and then leans on. like what it's like when he plays the the old the the old uh, deaf woman she's like i hear birds singing and then there's this pause and there's absolutely no sound like there's no birds in the entire town people are like looking around <laughs> for birds <laughs> i hear children laughing and then like a child like sticks their tongue
0: out. yeah like, yeah what? and he sticks it back what
1: is yeah. wrong with all of you
0: well i think what's interesting about the when they when they arrive they've been here before you know, mm-hmm. And the townsfolk are like, the last time you were here, you took advantage of us. And so the whole premise of what is happening is them getting in the town's good graces again. Which is incredible because we get to watch, essentially, a charlatan actually do what charlatans do. <laughs> yeah. Which is manipulate a town of very angry, everyday folk. You know, uh, people working on, on the coastline. So, like, uh, everyday fisher folk get basically manipulated into buying into snake oil stuff.
1: From a man who cannot even say the name of their town (laughs) correctly. That's a joke too. (laughs) Like, the entire movie... Dr. Terminus is never able to say Passamaquoddy. He says every other iteration of that word possible except for Passamaquoddy.
0: I mean, today he would get in some real trouble because the, yeah. a Passamaquoddy is actually the name of an indigenous group, which is mm-hmm. in the area where this is supposedly set. Although this isn't a real town, it's just the name of the group. And there's a, I think like a Passamaquoddy Bay, mm. I mean, as you say, it was obviously filmed in, filmed in Southern California because no part of that coastline makes any sense for, for a main coastline
1: no i think it's um what is it morro bay or los osos it's down it's down in southern california it's los osos yeah something something something
0: it's the uh, los osos so it's a point buchan trail yes yes
1: yeah i don't know if the lighthouse is still there though i don't think Um, it is i think think they tore it down yeah
0: which is really sad they should have preserved it or at least disney if i guess if this movie had made more money disney would have just like shipped it over to disneyland
1: yeah well what's actually kind of funny because like the movie got trashed by critics. Like, nobody nobody saw it. And this is in the days where, like, nothing, there's streaming doesn't exist. The internet doesn't exist. I mean, like, I saw it, I'm sure, because it was just probably playing on television or something. Like, a, that, that can be the only way I can imagine that I saw it. But even though, like, nobody enjoyed the movie in 1977, Disney still made Elliot, like, the central point of their their Main Street Parade, like, they have that giant Elliot light-up dragon thing. And if you, I can imagine just generations of children post-1977 who are like, where did this big dragon come from? <laughs> <laughs> because nobody ever talks about this movie. It's the only thing that's, like, kept through is this big light-up dragon that they have. It's such an odd thing to just, like, hold on to.
0: I have some respect for that of like, even our failures we're going to put into our parts.
1: <laughs> there you go. I guess. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cause you're right. Like this, this film got pretty, pretty p- panned at the time. Like there was some praise for Sean Marshall who plays Pete and there's, I think, like, Leonard Maltin didn't hate it, although he did say that the animated title character is so endearing that it almost compensates for the live actor's tiresome mugging, which, oh, wow. wow.
1: I love the mugging. Jim Dale's facial expressions <laughs> are worth the price of admission alone. Like, <laughs> great.
0: He is remarkable. The casting is spot on in this movie. Yes. There is no cast member where you're like, I don't I don't believe them. No, that every <laughs> single cast member... Really seems like they inhabit the character that like you can make distinctions between who all the, all of them are. Like Doc Terminus mm-hmm. is, is so unique as a character from the you know the the Gogans or from lampy etc there's a lot of distinction but i mean the only maybe non-distinction is the town folk who don't get names anyway so but there are a couple of of them in there too right isn't there one where they turn Mm -hmm. they turn the guy's hair pink i think
1: yeah an old fisherman whose hair gets turned pink and i mean even with the townspeople though like the general fisher folk like there's like you start to recognize the same like there's a couple that are just dicks and they just do not like poor Pete for whatever reason that adult men are not don't like children I guess I don't know somehow the fisher folk get it get it in their head that Pete's imaginary friend has caused the fishing crisis in their village right and decided that they hate Pete because Pete has an imaginary dragon and that's what the fish I guess are sensitive to imaginary friends or something I don't know but um, you start to like recognize a couple of them over and over again. Like, there's a couple that just show up repeatedly. Who are like, you're not a very nice person. You need to go home or something.
0: <laughs> they're also just, like, a lot of fun. There's a lot of good characters. I mean, you could mm-hmm. tell that a couple of the people that they got on the cast, they're character actors, and they're just okay. just hamming it up. And so I, I think it's amusing that Leonard Bolton didn't like the mucking, and It It's like, that's kind of the point of the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're all doing that on purpose. What do you think's going on?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's like like watching a romance and then complaining there's too much romance in it. It's like, dude, come on. It's a children's Disney movie with an animated dragon. Like, chill out, dude.
0: (laughs) I'm just imagining Leonard Bolton. The animated title character is so endearing that it almost compensates for all the kissing that's going on. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) This film gets criticized, and it does not have a good Rotten Tomato rating. I haven't checked Rotten Tomatoes today, but Wiki said 56% based on 27 reviews, which is, this is not a 56% movie by any stretch. This is, this is like a solid 70, 80%.
1: Yeah. I'd probably put it about 75. Like I think it's a strong 75. This, I mean this, how do you get mad at a movie whose main message is be nice to people and love your friends? Like there's a whole song where Nora sings about like how we need to make room for people And, like, there's enough room in this world and let's everybody be nice to each other. And, like, how do you get mad at that? (laughs) Are you mad about a woman who just wants everybody to be nice to each other? (laughs) I love that. There's, you know, Nora's just so wholesome. She's like a shining... Yeah, she's wholesome. And what I love about it is that, like, um, Helen Reddy, at the time, she was cast as, like, the starlet. Like, she's, like, I mean, she's not, you know, what we (laughs) would contemporarily think of as starlets. But, like, you know, whoever the young, hot actor or whatever singer who wants to transition into Hollywood like that's that was her casting role she was like the young hot like Lindsay Lohan or whatever of her you know <laughs> time who got cast in this like weird Disney movie with Mickey Rooney who was trying to rehab his career <laughs> and like Shelley Winters who and Red Buttons who were like at the top of their careers yeah <laughs> and Jim Dale who's trying to get like an inroad into the U.S. and it's, just, it's such a weird mix and then Sean Marshall who did one movie and then, like, retired completely from Hollywood and is, like, living his life in wherever he lives now. And it's just, like, it's such a weird but perfect cast.
0: It is. And Sean Marshall is interesting because he, uh, he still does appearances occasionally. Oh, really? Yeah, so because Ooh. people find out that he he played Pete. And there is, like, an audience for this movie of people who have, like, really strong connections to this kind of like us. Like, we have strong connect. Mm-hmm. My grandma introduced me to this, so, like, I will always Aww. love this movie because... My, like, grandma introduced me to so many great movies. And so, yeah, so he does appearances, and people, like, talk to him about, like, his, like, what he can remember from when he was, like, 12 or whatever he was of being on this movie. And, like, he sometimes gets, like, requests to sing some of the songs, which is kind of cute, but also I that's a little terrifying.
1: <laughs> like... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> sing the song that was, you know, that you sang... 40, 50 years ago. Like, go.
0: I Love You Too is the song. Yeah. The the song that once you hear it you will not sing Pete's part. You will sing Elliot's part for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. I always <laughs> sing Elliot's part. I always sing Elliot's part.
0: I love that Charlie Callis is just in this, just as the, they call it the vocal effects of Elliot. I, I think it's real acting is what's going. It's not just vocal effects. Cause a- Absolutely. Elliot says no words, right? He, he enunciates sounds. He makes these burp, 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 burp noises. And almost all all of the the like meaning is derived from like watching his physical reactions, mm-hmm. but you can feel all the emotions in the way that Callus delivers the 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 lines. These boat bo- bo- lines, like there's so much in there for what is ultimately a silly concept of just like a dragon who just says bur- 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 bur, like all the time. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, I I mean, he must have had just a blast, like, of just sitting in front of a mic and just making these sounds.
1: (laughs) Well, and uh, as the movie goes on, you stop noticing that he's not speaking words, because like you said, like, you, it's almost, you can, like, follow the conversation. Like, it's almost like he's talking or communicating, because you know exactly what he's saying, even if you don't know the words that he's saying, you can get the sentiment out of it. And so, like, the, the oddity of the sounds... It, it vanishes after the first, you know, song or so. You're just kind of used to it by that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's very clever writing and production on that on that mm-hmm. front, right? I mean, a lot of this film is just very clever for what it is. I mean, goodness, they they like I don't even know how they built that ridiculous set with all the water. You know, they had to oh, make, yeah. like, a fake bay, right? It's almost like a, it feels like something that like Universal Studios would have done for Waterworld. <laughs> like, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly there's, like, a pool under there. Like, you can right. tell the, the water's, like, a weird greenish color. Like, it's obviously a pool.
0: It's not a normal one, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, and um, especially the stuff with, with Elliot, the, the scene I always think about is, like, way in the beginning. Um, this is after the night in the forest with the Gogans and uh, Elliot basically steals a bunch of apples out of the apple orchard. Um, and Pete's sitting on his, on his stomach and they're eating apples. But Elliot at one point leans back against the fence. And the fence is is like real. It's like a real world fence. But he's an animated dragon. And the fence actually like moves in yeah. time with him. And, and they had to do it because, it, you know, they didn't have screen sc- Well, and it's weird because it's like a lot the that scene. They shot a scene at an apple orchard where somebody had like an invisible string and they pulled the fence. And then on like a, a sound stage, they shot Pete or Sean Marshall like climbing up on like a green screen removable, you know, mountain that, that he could like sit on there and eat fake apples on. And then they superimposed the cell animation of Elliot on top of those two things. That's actually kind of clever. Yeah. And it all works. And there's like there's moments where like Pete or where Elliot picks up Pete with his tail. And you can't, you can't like they covered with the animation so well that you can't see like the little hanging clip that the poor guys probably yeah. stuck on. <laughs> and there's there's scenes where like characters are thrown up in the air. Like at one point, Elliot blows up this little cheap boat that the Gogans steal while they're in this little fake bay, and the Gogans go flying. And in, oh, my favorite though is when Elliot knocks them all into the mud, and one of the brothers ends up upside down. Yeah. <laughs> in, his head, in the mud. But like <laughs> the stunts are actually pretty good and they mix it well with the animation and yeah like you can't really see the scenes like I would expect to see the scenes on a movie like this and you, you can't really
0: you can if you look like really close like you can tell like the eye lines don't always line up perfectly oh, yeah. but like you if you're paying that close attention to a movie about a, a little redhead child who has a friend who is an, a sometimes invisible green cartoon dragon like Seriously. you you need you need help <laughs> 'Cause <Yeah. laughs> this this movie's yeah. not for you. But you're right, yeah. like if you're not like being nitpicky and you're just kind of getting into the experience, yeah, all of the stunts, the little bits and bobbles they do, like with fences moving and all of this stuff, is very well done and makes it feel real when Elliot is invisible and bumping stuff and knocking things over. Um there's even that great part where he smashes through the, the wall of the school and leaves a dragon yeah. shape and even still, the teacher's like, no, it can't be. It
1: can't be true. Yeah, they're like, what happened? <laughs> this a dragon shape in one wall and then a dragon shape in another wall as he left the building. And like a, dr- a bell being dragged by an invisible force down the town. Yep. And everybody's like, I don't know what's going on. What could it be?
0: Can't possibly be true until the fish disappeared then. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, now now it's real. The dragon is responsible. Yeah, I mean, this is remarkably well done, I think, as, as a... Animation slash live action film. Mm. And while I wish it had been more successful in its time, I am glad that Disney has not buried this. Yes.
1: I think they just forgot about Pete's Dragon, frankly. It made them like $3 in the movie theater. So I think, you know, it probably just wasn't worth, you know, hiding at that point. Maybe they just assumed everybody forgot about it.
0: Well, and it's also kind of an innocuous film. I mean, it's not super offensive I mean it's got you could argue it's got some issues I mean it's kind of treatment of rural people I think would rub some feathers the wrong way because it just mm-hmm. makes all rural people seem like you know gross immoral monsters
1: and there's there's a there's a moment too in the um, every little peace song where they, um, something, specific, they're listing off types of money, and then they go, and yens! And then there's a really, like, awful, stereotypy,
0: It's that sound. Asian
1: music, you know, sound, and you're just like, ugh. It's almost like they basically
0: played <laughs> chopsticks. I mean, they didn't literally, yeah. but that's what they basically did.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, we did not need that. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, there's, like, little things, but I think overall this film is pretty innocuous,
1: I mean, they had black people in the town and like, I mean, to be fair, like one black person gets one line in the entire <laughs> movie, but they did. And there are no black children, which I found very odd. There's this like, there's like four or five black adults, uh, you know, male and female, mm-hmm. but there's no black children. There's, it's oh, white children, which I found really like children of the corn creepy, but yeah. at least there are like black people in it, which I, you know, appreciated as a child in a predominantly white county.
0: Ah, <laughs> so it's yeah. like,
1: hey, look, look, there's a couple of us in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there are a few. I mean, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right, that, that it is there. It is it is also just strange that all of the children are, are white, but maybe that's Disney not wanting to piss off, like, the, the post-civil rights racism, the post-civil rights act racism of the world. Maybe. Yeah. Of like, no, we can't have desegregated schools, even though they're <laughs> yeah. technically desegregated. Like, I don't know. Who knows what Disney was thinking with that. Then again, they could have just been like, ah, oh, they can dance, like, I don't know, let them in the movie. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Trying to figure out Disney's motivations for anything is a losing battle.
0: No kidding. That is so true. Because, <laughs> like, the only motivation we know of Disney is money. Yep. That doesn't help us too much. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this film did make, it made $18 million on a $10 million budget, which... That's not bad. I don't know if that's profitable for the time. I'm going to assume that it probably wasn't, but not a flop. Yeah,
1: it definitely wasn't a flop.
0: Yeah, but by today's standards, if you paid $10 million and this didn't make at least $30 million, like it would be considered a failure, which of course they wouldn't have spent $10 million. This would have been, if they redo this as an actual musical, it'll probably cost like, you know, $50 million.
1: Well, give Disney another couple of years and I'm sure they'll remake their remakes of all of their anime. You know, they remade their animated movies with CGI characters and then I'm sure they'll remake their CGI movies with something else. So.
0: <laughs> you never know. <laughs>
1: Remake the remake of Pete's dragon,
0: oh God, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I just want to pretend that film doesn't exist ever since once you told me how that film is constructed, no, thank you
1: if you're gonna call it Pete's dragon. Then it's gotta be like Pete's Dragon. It can't yeah. just be a boy named Pete who randomly encounters a dragon in the woods, and then the dragon like fucks off and it's like, bye. I don't care about you. Like, that's, <laughs> no, you can't that's, do that. That's not, not Pete's not Dragon. Pete's dragon.
0: No, at least when they did Aladdin, they were like, it's Aladdin. It just has yes. Will Smith now. Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> like I could even tolerate. Like I would hate it, but I could even tolerate a non-musical version of Pete's Dragon. But if there's no Nora and a lighthouse, and there's no orphans and there's no Gogans, then I don't know what movie you're making because it's not *The Dragon*.
0: It's just the the Green Woods Dragon. That's really all yeah, it is. It's seriously. a totally different movie.
1: I remember being really weirded out when I first heard Robert Redford was in it, because I could not picture Robert Redford playing Mickey Rooney. Like, I just, I was like, I don't know how he can be Lampy. Like, I don't understand it. And then I found out he wasn't actually going to be Lampy. He's just like, you know, Robert Redford, and and he's just like an old man who's in the movie. And I was Uh, very disappointed then.
0: Oh, well, that just, that would have been interesting. I would almost be there for it. Like, uh, how are you going to play a paranoid drunk? Yeah. do it give it to us it's not like you've done anything else you just play sinister villains in marvel movies now you jerk yeah. <laughs> well Okay, I think we've hit it, uh, and we gotta wrap this sucker up. So there you have, it, folks, a new episode's in the bag. If you would like to let me know, and I, I will happily relay any cool comments I get about this movie to Alex. I, if you want to let me know about this, what you think about this movie, please let me know. It is on lots of things, including uh, Disney Plus, or you can just buy it like a normal person, uh, because it is worth having in your collection on Blu-ray. I will just note because it's worth it. So if you want to let me know, seanduke.net/contact or tweet at me. At Sean Duke. Alex, if you would be so kind, would you let folks know where they can find you and your things?
1: Yes. Uh, so I spend entirely too much time on Twitter. I am at Queen of Rats um, because I, uh, well, I'm not a queen anymore because I'm not a woman, but you know, whatever. Uh, rats, yay. Um, I'm also, my website punk ass, or excuse me, my website is bookjockeyalex.com. Oh, and I'm on Instagram also as bookjockeyalex at bookjockeyalex. That is my website and my Instagram as well.
0: Perfect. And you got some books and stuff, but that's all on your website. So if folks want to check those out and learn some history, you've done some history. You also have got some cool high school reading lists for young adult, which is yeah. also really cool. Uh, and you had, I think you just had the one for this year come out or was it for last yeah, year? Yeah,
1: I, I think I put it out. I can't remember if it was April or May, but it goes by grade. So there's one for ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade and 12th grade and reading lists that should keep you occupied this summer.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on with me and, and being here. This is really fun.
1: Absolutely. Anytime I can get the opportunity to talk about Pete's Dragon to somebody, like I will always take
0: that. 100%. 100%. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I got the chance because this, this was a delightful movie and a and a great conversation. We got to really dig in. So
1: Yes. Thanks for having me.
0: Sure thing. So make sure folks to check out Joy Factory Monthly on your favorite podcatcher. If you enjoy the show, five-star review on iTunes is always helpful. And you can support me at patreon.com slash thejoyfactory. And on that note, joyful transmission concluded.